0: You must know the times. Answers to 25 essential questions on End Times Prophecy. A powerful new book by Dennis James Woods. Wildfires, earthquakes, hurricanes, and floods that devastates entire communities. Global pandemics that kills hundreds of thousands of people. Social injustice, unrest and lawlessness that threatens our societies. Where is this world heading? And what does the Bible say about the end times? You Must Know the Times is an eye-opening book specifically designed to educate readers about the last days. You will learn what the Bible says about conflicts in the Middle East, the Tribulation Period, the Nation of Israel, the Mark of the Beast, the Antichrist, Armageddon, the Rapture of the Church, and many more essential topics. Get your copy today of You Must Know the Times by Dennis James Woods at Amazon, iTunes, Google Books, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold.
1: Praise the Lord, everyone out there in podcast, YouTube, land. This is Dr. Dennis James Woods, and we're here with you one more time with the Revelation Revolution podcast. Tonight, we're going to embark on a very interesting study, and we are going to be looking at, is the rapture found in the book of Revelation? Is the rapture found in the book of Revelation. You would be surprised to know that each one of the major positions actually has passages it turns to to support a concept of the rapture in the book of Revelation. So we're going to get into that tonight. And we're going to have some fun uh, studying this, and then we're going to uh, look at some more non-traditional uh, passages. Uh, concerning that uh, that could definitely point to uh, the rapture in revelation. So uh, at this time, let's have a word word of prayer. Father, we do thank you in the name of Jesus for your love, mercy, and grace. We thank you, Lord God, for all that you are doing in our lives. At this uh, precise time in the world, we are going through so many things, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, but Bible prophecy and your word is true. And all of the things that you said in your word will come to pass exactly like you said it, Lord God. So Father, we just ask you to give us wisdom, give us patience, Lord God, that we can love one another and support one another, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, knowing that no matter what positions we have, eschatological or rapture positions we have, that all of the redeemed, all of those who are born again, will be translated when you come, whether they are dead in Christ and they raised first or whether we are harpazoled and caught up to be with you in the uh, to meet them in the clouds. Well, God, if we're born again, you're leave- we're leaving. And so, Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord God. So let the words of our mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. Oh, Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's get right into our lesson. Again, we're going to be looking at, first, we're going to look at the pre-trib rapture position, which basically says the rapture happens before Daniel 70th week. Uh, as a matter of fact, all of the positions that we're going to be talking about tonight, whether pre-trib, uh, mid, mid, mid-trib, um uh, pre-rath or post-trib are all premillennial positions. Number one, it means that they all believe that the rapture happens before the millennium starts. So the, we're all in the same camp when it when it comes to that. It's just that the pre-trib uh, believes the rapture will happen before the period known as Daniel's 70th week happens. Uh, mid-trib says it happens in the middle. Pre-rath, which I am. A part of the pre RAF camp believes it happens, it could be anywhere between the middle and the end. And of course, post trib says it happens at the very end uh, of the 70 week. So we're going to look at, let's uh, get into it and let's look at some of the uh, uh, scriptures that are used to uh, support at least the uh, pre trib, uh, mid trib, uh, and pre RAF, uh, some of the pre RAF position because the the Form of pre-rap that I teach is different than Marvin Rosenthal and uh, and that and that group uh, uh, that uh, you know they have uh, different positions and perspectives on several things that I I would differ with them on. But uh, uh, it, my position is called pre-rap because we're not appointed to rap. So, but anyway, let's get into this and let me uh, do my screen share. And we're going to get right into our lesson so uh, we just thank God again for all of you and uh, we just want to uh, start with uh, the very first uh, passage that is typically used uh, again this would be the pre of position and the description the that they would go to would be this one here uh, and uh, we'll look at it we'll look at it from a few uh, uh, versions. Uh, this is revelation 310. It says, and this is talk speaking the, uh, uh, address to the church of Philadelphia. And this is what the Lord says, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test them that dwell to test the inhabitants of the earth. Okay. So, uh, that is, uh, What many pre-trib people, as a matter of fact, I was just listening to a Dr. John MacArthur uh, teaching, and he was saying that uh, uh, Revelation 3.10 is probably the most explicit text that you could use to back a pre-trib rapture. Um, I I think there would be some who would disagree with that. They They would probably say that Revelation 3.10 is one of the evidences they use. Because um, there is absolutely no language in this text whatsoever that has any of of the Pauline aspects of the rapture in it. So far as the blowing of the trumpets, the angels descending, the son of man coming down on the cloud, the command of the voice, uh, people being raised from the dead, people being caught up to meet the Lord in the air. None of that is in this text. Uh, it is only by way of implication uh, at best. Uh, you you really have to be eisegetical, read into the text a rapture here. But this is what many, many, many people in the pre-trip camp do exactly that. So let's take a look at uh, some of the commentaries that deal uh, specifically uh, with uh, this text. Um, let's look at the Tony Evans commentary. And uh, Dr. Tony Evans, for those of you that may not know is a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary. It's kind of like the flagship uh, dispensational school in the country, one of the top evangelical schools in the, uh, in the country and in in, 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 in by extension the world. And this is what Dr. Evans says. He says, within the premillennial view of eschatology, which this commentary adopts, the premillennial view, there are at least four different views on the rapture. So notice what we're dealing with, Revelation 3.10. So Revelation three ten, he's implying that it's dealing with the rapture. Even though, know, of course, there's no rapture language in three ten. again, by way of implication, people apply the rapture to this passage. So this is why he's having a rapture conversation in this with this associated with this text. So uh, there are at least three different views on the rapture: the return of Christ to remove His church from the world. Some pre believe that the rapture will occur prior to a seven-year tribulation. Some believe it will occur in the middle of the tribulation. Some say it will happen two-thirds of the way through, and some insist it will come at the end. So basically what you have here is the, is the before would be pre-trib, in the middle would be mid-trib, Three two thirds, as he calls it, would be pre-rath, and uh, at the end would be post-trib. Okay. Notice what he says here next. He says this verse suggests a pre-tribulational rapture because it says, "I will also keep you from the hour of testing, which is going to come on the whole earth." Okay. Jesus will not merely keep them from the test, but from the period of the test, that is the tribulation period. So from this text, these uh, words of encouragement to the Church of Philadelphia, which is being addressed here, many pre-tribulationists have extrapolated from this text and, and see a pre-trib rapture being implied here, uh, even though there is nothing explicit in this text whatsoever that uh, talks about the raising of the dead and all of that. It's, it's by, it's by implication, but it is one of the main scriptures that they use. And uh, so that is uh, uh, what I wanted to talk about. So this is one of the scriptures that pre-trib uses. Now, another passage that that some pre-tribulation is not albeit not all, is Revelation 4.1. Revelation 4.1. Now, Revelation 4.1, it says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come here. Come up here and I will show you what is to take place after this. One At, at once I was in the spirit and, and there before me was set a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. So now Revelation 4.1 is important to some pre-tribulationists because they say this is also a picture of the rapture. Okay, uh, Dr. Evans, again, he said this this phrase after this marks a transition to the third section of the book, the pronoun thus referring to the church age, that is the period of history between Christ's ascension and his rapture of believers. Now, let's go to the believer's commentary. Now, this is what the believer commentary says. It says, now we come to the third main division of the revelation. The first three chapters describe the church age from the time of the apostles until the rapture. In other words, the t- chapters... Two and three are a picture of the entire church age. That's how they interpret that, even though it's seven churches that in Asia Minor that were being addressed. The pre tribulationist, who typically relies on a literal interpretation of the scripture, here spiritualizes this text and turns the seven churches into seven church ages now not all pre-tribulations do it but a lot of them do and so this is why you have this type of language and this is why uh uh in this uh uh commentary uh dr mcdonald mcdonald uh uh says what he says okay uh he said there is a definite break between chapters three and four from this point on the church is never mentioned the church is never mentioned as being on earth now that's a statement Again, it's one of those statements, ladies and gentlemen. They make that claim, but there's nothing really in the scriptures to back that up because of the use of the word church. And just let me let me say uh, what he's doing here. He's he he's equating the use of the word church to in the in the text of Revelation to meaning the church is not on earth. So uh, let me say that again. He's equating the church not being mentioned in the text after Revelation 3. He's equating that to the church not being on earth. And you just simply cannot make that claim. You can't do that. And the reason why you can't do that is the word church is not used in seven New Testament epistles. Starting with uh, Second Timothy, Titus, First John, Second John, Jude. Technically, first Peter, even though in King James, the word church is italicized in chapter five, when it says the church at Babylon, the other translation, that's a bad translation. The other uh, translations don't even use the word church there. Church is italicized, which means it's not in the original manuscripts and it's not in the other translations either. It's just in the King James, but it's italicized. And that's in first Peter and second Peter. The word church is not used. So if you're going to apply that type of hermeneutic to this book, why do you not also at least have the, uh, the wherewithal, or not wherewithal, but why not at least tell the whole story, let me put it that way, and say, well, even though we're making this argument about the word church and connecting it to the church or Christians being on earth, when you're making that argument, why don't you at least be be, be uh, tell the whole story and say, well, the word church isn't used and seven other books in the New Testament either. See, but they never do that. When they when they when they mention that, they're doing, they're leaving that out intentionally because they, they want you to think a certain way about it. But ladies and gentlemen, it's just not a good way to do it. Okay. So uh, so let's let's move further on. This is what he says. Uh, verse four one, the voice that invites John to heaven is the voice of Christ. Many Bible students believe that John's entrance into heaven is a picture of the church being taken to be with the Lord at this time. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let's 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 look at the text. Let's look. look let's, let's just let's just look at it. This is what it says. After this. I looked and there was before me, who's the me? The me there is John. John is talking about himself, okay? After this, I looked and there before, before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me, like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you which much takes place after this. At once, I was in the spirit, and there before me was the throne set in heaven. And then he begins describing the events in heaven. So clearly, ladies and gentlemen, this is a call God calls John up to heaven. Since when has the body of John been equated to the body of Christ? I mean, admittedly, not all pre-tribulationists would Point to a passage like this to say, see there, the rapture isn't happening. But even Tony Evans and them, they still mark the transition to saying because the word church isn't fine. And so we we get these breadcrumbs that they're dropping, trying to imp- make implications without anything directly explicit. And that's the problem with doing that, ladies and gentlemen. There's a message in the book of Revelation for the church. And uh, so that's from the pre-trib point of view. Now, the next one we're going to look at is the mid-trib. So let's go to Revelation 11 and uh, verse number three. Beginning at three, is that at that time I will appoint my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloths. These are the two olive trees, the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. Now, there is a reference in Zechariah uh, uh, that speaks of the two lampstands and all of that, the, the two olive trees. It, it speaks of that. Uh, and the two olive trees by it, one, of, one on the right hand of the bowl and one on the uh, left side there, uh, that's Zechariah 4, uh, 3 verse 11 and 14. So there's another reference for the two lampstands uh, if you want to uh, search that out further. And he said, these are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Uh, again, that's Zachariah. So this is a reference to uh, Old Testament reference to these New Testament witnesses. I just wanted to, to point that out. And then, so it, it goes, it says, if anyone tries to hurt them, fire comes out of their mouths and they, and they devour their enemies. And this is how anyone who wants to hurt them must die. And they have power to shut the heavens so that it will not rain during their prophesying. And they have power to they have power to turn waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Now, when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will attack them, overpower and kill them, and their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt. It's interesting that your would call Jerusalem, Sodom and Egypt. That's how he sees it. It's because they're apostate. and It's, it's, it's like uh, Sodom and Egypt is not a good metaphor <laughs> for Jerusalem. Okay. Uh, because he has to come back and straighten things out. Um, but anyway, let's just keep, keep moving. Uh, where also their Lord was crucified. So that's, that's how we know it's Jerusalem. It says, and for three days, some of every people, tribe, and tongue will gaze on their bodies and refuse in burial. And the inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and celebrate by sending gifts one another to. And because these two prophets had tormented the earth. okay. now something happens here. But after three days and a half, the breath of the life of God entered them and they stood upon their feet and in terror struck those who saw them. Okay, so uh, in the mid-trib, some of those in the mid-trib position, which which is kind of a position that is not as popular as it used to be, particularly not at pre-rath, because pre-rath is a is a is a is a is a great mixture of mid-trib, post-trib, all uh, uh, and it takes aspects of that and it incorporates them into a into a, a separate position. Uh, so some in the mid-trib. Camp, and this isn't the only scripture they use. I think they also use uh revelation, uh, further on, and revelation, uh, to show the seventh trumpet is also being part of the uh, uh rapture uh scenario, which we'll get to later. Uh, but the, in mid trib, they say that the two witnesses are representative of the church being caught up midway through the tribulation. How do we know that? because the two witnesses have three and a half years or 1,260 days uh, to prophesy. So that would take you midway through the tribulation. So that's what the mid-trib position would incorporate that. That's not the totality of it. I'm not teaching total mid-trib here. I'm not doing that. So I'm just giving you some other passages that people use. Now, uh, so far is pre-wrath, the pre that aspect that I do not ascribe to would see uh, between the sixth the sixth seal and the seventh seal, between these two, they would see the following passages as the rapture. Uh, and he says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude which no one could count from every nation, people, tribe, and language, standing before the throne, standing before the uh, Lamb, and they were wearing white robes, and were uh, and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cry with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. Okay, and it says, and all the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders and the four uh, living creatures, and they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, "Amen, praise, uh, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever, Amen." And then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, where did they come from? And I answered and said, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation, for they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. So there are those in the pre-wrath camp, because this is seen in Revelation 7. It occurs between the sixth and the seventh seal. And uh, so that's why a lot of people in the pre-wrath camp see this as all of a sudden the church now shows up in heaven in between the sixth seal and in between the seventh seal. And so they use that passage as a passage uh, to teach uh, the rapture. And so um, I think that's interesting, but uh, that's not, I don't subscribe to that. Uh, That is not the position and the pre-rap that I teach that, that uh, I I don't particularly uh, go there Uh, for that one. Now, what is interesting is that you do have something that is very interesting now in Revelation chapter number 11. When the seventh trumpet has blown, there's things that happen in heaven. And I think it's worth looking at this. The reason why people who are pre trib do not count any of these passages. I mean, anything after chapter three, clean up to Revelation 19, where the Lord, where where the bride of Christ is seen in heaven and the saints return with Christ. pre trib doesn't see anything in Revelation as relating to the church at all. So none of the material in between Revelation chapter 3 and all the way to Revelation 19, do they see as in any way applicable to the church? So therefore they would not count at all what we are about to read because their position says the church can't be there, so this part of Revelation has no relevance at all to the church. I Do not take that position at all, at all, not even close to that, because theologians and scholars have determined for us what God's word and who it applies to. And I don't think, I don't think, I don't, I don't care how many DDs or THDs behind your name that you have, that you have the authority to relegate God's word to where it doesn't apply to his people, and God put revelation in the Bible, for the church to read. This isn't filler. This information is here for a reason, ladies and gentlemen. And when I get to some passages about how I believe the rapture is applicable to them, then I'll I'll tell you about it. But this is one of them. This is one of them, the seven trumpet. I'm going to tell you why. Now, The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's interesting. When that trumpet blows, it triggers an announcement in heaven. The announcement that is made in heaven that the kingdom of the world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. In other words, Christ at the blowing of the seventh trumpet seizes authority over the world, but it is done in heaven first. Now, those of you who may remember Jesus's conversation that he had with Pilate and Pilate Said to him, Are you a king? Jesus said, as someone tell you that you know that of yourself, did you hear someone tell you? father said, Wait a minute, I'm <laughs> I'm not a Jew. Your own people while you here. You know, I'm 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 trying to find a way to cut you loose. You know, I'm I'm having difficulty finding fault with you. But it was something that Jesus said. Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. And if my kingdoms were of this world, then would my servants fight? When the seventh trumpet blows, what Jesus told Pilate changes. He says, my king is not from here. He said, if it weren't, my servants would be fighting. In the meantime, since the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're not in the age of the church. Christ dwells in us, but the kingdom of God has still come, is within you. It it comes without observation. This is why the Lord must come back physically the second time, his second advent, as King of King and Lord of Lords. And this is what we see in Revelation 19. The Lord actually comes back to rule. But before he does Revelation 19, when he invades the earth with an army, because kingdoms have kings, kingdoms have territory, and kingdoms have armies to protect their territory. That's why Jesus told Pilate, he said, look, if my kingdom was from here, we'd be fighting. <laughs> you, you wouldn't be putting your hands on me at all. So you don't have any authority. You, only authority you have is what my father gave me. But when the seventh trumpet blows, that changes. So when that seventh trumpet blows, that is the signal for the authority of the kingdom of God to which would soon follow the ushering in of his literal second advent or his appearance. So after this announcement is made in heaven, ladies and gentlemen, this is what happened. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thanks to you, O Lord, Lord God Almighty. The one who is, who was, because, listen to this, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. See, now they articulate what was implied by the blowing of the seventh trumpet. The kingdoms of this world, have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And they said, Lord, we give thanks and power, thanks and glory to you because you have taken your great
0: power and you have
1: begun to reign. Glory to God. Let's just get this in the NASB. He says, we give thanks to you, O Lord, my Lord, God Almighty, who was and and because you have taken your great power and begun to reign, that's in the NASB. Let's go to the uh, uh, Christian Standard Bible. We give thanks to you because you have taken your power and have begun to reign. Uh, let's go to the New Living Translation. We give thanks to you, O God, uh, Lord God Almighty, the one who who is and was, uh, the one who is, who always was for now you have assumed your great power and have begun to reign. Glory to God, the complete Jewish Bible. We thank you, Adonai, for the for, for God of heaven's armies, the one who is and was, that you have taken your power and have begun to rule. So, so the whole idea with the blowing of the seven trumpet is the rule of Christ is about to jump off which 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 sets the stage for him to ev- to return in Revelation 19 glory to God now in verse 18 the response to this is this 18 the nations were angry and your wrath has come the wrath of god will be specifically targeted at the nations during the series of bold judgments that are going to be poured out but you have to understand the reason it's 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 being articulated here is because it addresses the precursors to why Christ comes back as King of King and Lord of Lords, and when He comes back, He has a crown. He has many crowns on His head. He's the he, and the Bible says that in the, the Word of God was. Uh, 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 His name was the word of God and he he comes with the armies of heaven. We're talking about Revelation 19 and how that sharp two-edged sword is going to go out and kill everybody uh, that that has uh, come to the battle of Armageddon. Uh, Glory to God. But all of these things happen under the series of bold judgments articulated, identified as the wrath of God. So we're getting the precursors to what all of this means. The nations were angry. Your wrath has come, but not only is it a time for wrath, ladies, ladies and gentlemen, but it's also time simultaneously for something else. And this, you have to listen to this because it's good. The time has come for judging the dead. Listen to this, ladies and gentlemen, this happens at the seventh trumpet. Preach free hates this passage. And it, I, I heard, uh, uh, a Perry Stone jumping all over, dancing around this passage the other day, trying to talk about why the seventh trumpet of Revelation is not the last trumpet. Ladies and gentlemen, there's only one group of eschatological trumpets. You're not going to find any other, any other any other place. But 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 I don't want to get off my point right now. But let me let me just finish this. The time has come for judging the dead. And for rewarding your servants, the who who are his servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both small, great, and small. Now let's look at this in the KJV. Sometimes the King James version. I, I like the King James version better. You know these uh these dynamic translations like the NIV, you know, they're thought for thought. But listen, I, listen to this. It says, verse number 18, he says, and the nations were angry. Thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged and that you, thou should give a reward to thy servants, the prophets and to the saints and to them that fear thy name, small and great. So not only is it the time that the nations were angry, why? Because his wrath has come. This is what the sixth seal showed you in a vision. The kings of the earth hiding themselves from the wrath of the Lamb. But the sixth seal is not a point of execution. That's a vision of events that are actually actualized under the bold judgments, but inaugurated by the seventh trumpet. Now this is, this is good stuff, ladies and gentlemen. Let me read this again. And if nations were angry, thy wrath has come and the time of the dead, that they should be judged and that thou should give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great. So so just as it is a time of wrath for the unbelieving world, it is a time of reward for the saints Characterized as the judgment of the dead, this happens under the seventh trumpet. Let's look at this in the NASB. Look at this, and the nations were were in rage, and your wrath has come. And the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time at, and the time to reward your bond servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, small and great. So at the seventh trumpet, did not only did it set the stage for the Lord to return, which we end up seeing in Revelation 19, because now he's about to reign, he's about to teach and took his authority back, but it happens in heaven first. The, the, the assumption of authority and power over the kingdoms of the earth happened at the blowing of the seventh trumpet and the seventh trumpet then inaugurates or set in stage for that wrath of God to tear the nations up but at the same time it is the time for God to judge the dead and the saints and the prophets for reward this is, this is in your Bible, ladies and gentlemen. How do we look over this? How do we dismiss this? How do we just get to where we say, oh, I ain't got nothing to do with the church. That's, that's, just, that, that, that's some other trumpet. That's because people who have an institutional doctrine to protect don't want to face scriptures like this because it shares light that there's problems with what they teach, and this is some of the issues with Pre-Trib. Pre-Trib has taken this information and compartmentalized it away from the saints to where we can grab it and understand what God is going to do during that time. But they didn't came up and say, oh, well, no, the church, word church isn't there, so uh, ch- the word church not being in the text is equivalent to no Christians or no, the church not being on earth. Now, how do you draw the two? How do you draw a straight line between them two? Let's look at the Revised Standard Version. The nations were raised, but your wrath is come, and the time for judging the dead, for rewarding your servants, the prophets, the saints, and all who fear your name. So this is a time for reward. The rewarding of the service happens at the seventh trumpet, judging the dead. He's not talking about the unrighteous dead because they don't get judged until the great white throne judgment. That's a thousand years later after the millennium starts. So it's not talking about the unrighteous dead. He's talking about the righteous dead. It's the time. So we have to look at this. But Preach Ram doesn't allow you to look at it because they already said the church is gone. This is on the to None of y'all Christians. This ain't none. This is somebody else. No, it's not. It's not. Here it is right here. Let's look at it in another version. Let's keep going. Let's go versions. The nations were filled with wrath in a New Living Translation. The nations were filled with wrath. But now the time of your wrath has come. It is time to judge the dead and reward your servants the prophets as well as your holy people all who fear your name from great to least and it is time to destroy all who have caused destruction on the earth so at the time and, and let me finish that let's let's go back to the uh, uh NIV on this okay now the time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants the prophets and your people who who revere your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. So while the nations are angry and being destroyed in the wrath of God, at the same time, the people of God, including the dead and the saints and the prophets are being rewarded. And this happens at the seventh trumpet. Why? Because Christ is taking his kingdoms back The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. It sets the stage for his wrath, but before his wrath can come, he rewards, he he calls his dead and he reward and he sets up the reward ceremony for them while at the same time, wrath is getting ready to break off on the earth. Now, didn't God say we're not appointed to wrath? Did did, he not say that? That's why the seven trumpets it's important. Why do you think it's called the time of the dead? Ladies and gentlemen, that's not by accident. It just so happens. Just, it just so happens. He says, I declare brothers and sisters that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep that's the dead, but we shall all be changed. in a flash in the twinkling of an eye, at what? The last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, what happens first? The dead will be raised imperishable. Now, didn't Revelation just say that? Let's go right back to it. See, because I, I know y'all don't believe this. Y'all, I, you don't heard the, the narrative where none of this stuff applies to, the, to us. I, I know, you, you, you've heard it so long that it's in it's just in your blood and you just can't get your brain to wrap around it but it just so happens that at the last trumpet that paul talks about he talks about the dead in christ rising first here it is again verse number 18 we know we talk about the seventh trumpet right that's the last one right the nations were angry your wrath is come. look at this the time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who reveal your name. So it's the time to judge, it's it's called the time of the dead, to judge the dead saints. Not only just the dead, but but it's because the dead in Christ rise first. We have to understand it is a resurrection slant rapture. It, see, when we think of the rapture, we just think of the living getting caught up. No, it's the dead in Christ rise first. That Paul makes an, a point of pointing that out. That's why it says it here. But it just so happens that this happens at the last trumpet. Just so happens. Just, it, the, the biggest coincidence in the world. What's your Bible say? Last trumpet. Oh, Paul couldn't be talking about the revelation. He said, because revelation was written in 90 AD and Paul was dead by 60 AD, revelation was written. That is a stupid argument. I, it, I, when people say that, I want to pop them aside. It makes no difference whether John and Paul wrote it at the same time, but wrote it at different times. The source is the same. It's the same God. It's one continuous revelation. I don't care if it was Daniel who would have said it would have made a difference. The revelation is consistent because the source is the same, same source. Doesn't make a difference whether Paul died before John wrote it. Did not Paul tell us in Galatians that he got his doctrine directly from Christ? He got it directly from him. Did he not say that he wasn't told by anybody? Did he not say in 2 Corinthians he was caught up to the third heaven? Well, if he was caught up to heaven, he was seen, he might obviously could have seen some of the same things that John saw. So what's so hard about that? But see, you can't have a pre-trib rapture and then read the information about the seven trumpet in revelation because it undercuts the idea of a pre-trib rapture. So that's why they have to rename and squiggle and wiggle around passages like that. You can't do nothing with that. It's in there. There's nothing you can do with it. All you can do is try to explain it away. That's all you can do. Now, there's another aspect that I think is very interesting. And we're going to wrap up with this. Revelation 13 and 14. When Revelation 13, this is talking about the Antichrist. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, turbin, his and then that dwell in heaven. And it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And all that dwell on earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Okay, now, this is Antichrist is going to hate God's people. He's going to make war with them, he's going to persecute them. This is exactly what Jesus says. As a matter of fact, let's go to Matthew 24, verse 9. Let's do NIV. right, now, listen to what it says. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You will be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time, many will turn away from the faith and betray one another. Now, Jesus told us what's going to happen. He says you're going to be handed over to be put to death. He said because it's going to cost people their life many are going to walk away from the faith, but this is what Paul said, Second Thessalonians, Ooh, y'all, y'all got me on a roll now, nah. Second Thessalonians chapter number two, verse number two, it says that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed either by spirit or by message or letter as it was from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come, Let no one deceive you in any way, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. First, there has to be a defection from the faith. And this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. Jesus said they're going to come and uh, put you to death, lock y'all up. He said that's going to cause many to flee from the faith. This is exactly what Paul says. There's going to be a big Defection from the faith. Once this, these things jump off, folks are going to abandon the faith, especially the spaghetti bag people who will not stand to be persecuted because they've always been taught they weren't going to be here. So when this stuff has starts happening, they're going to jump ship. And that's what Jesus said would happen. That's not Dennis Woods. That's the Lord said that. Let no one in any way deceive you. For it will not come the day of the Lord unless the apostasy comes first. That's going to happen. People are going to abandon ship once their lives are on the line. And this is why Revelation, let me just to give you some encouragement here. See, this we have to start teaching people this so they'll be ready for stuff. Folks ain't ready for nothing right now. Listen to this. And he said, listen, it says, and they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they love not their life, even when faced with death. This, these are the Christians who are the stand up Christians who face the end of Christ without bowing. And I want you to think about this. These people stand up for Christ Under the worst conditions in all human history, under the worst tyrant that the world has ever known, under direct persecution by the devil, the devil shoots his best shot at the Revelation 13 saints, ladies and gentlemen, and they refuse to buy. That is not some spaghetti back left behinds that Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins told you all about. That's not no left behinds. These aren't left behind Christians. These are the people that God allows to be persecuted because they stand up for Jesus and they're a witness to God. God sets them out. He allows them to be persecuted. That's the truth. Glory to God. So when we go back to Revelation 13, this is what we see. And he opened his mouth and blasphemed, And it was, and, and it was given to him to make war with the saints. Listen to how the uh listen to how the uh Christian Standard Bible puts this. And it was permitted to wage war against the saints. That's what that word means. It was permitted. In other words, God allowed it. God set them people out there. He He said He set them saints out there to be persecuted, to be headed, to stand up for Christ, just like His Son, just like His apostles, just like He threw Job out there before Satan said, "Have you considered my ser- servant Job?" God is the one who set Job out there. He says these out there. Paul said we're spectacles. We've made we've made spectacles to the world. We're spectacles. They put us in the arenas. They cut our heads off. They let the wild animals tear us up. They set us on fire. But guess what? We don't bow. We like the Hebrew boys. Hey, You can throw us in the fire all you want. We're not bowing. Throw us to the lions. We're not bowing. Polycott told them, said, 86 years I've served the Lord. He's been good to me. How can I turn my back on him now? Jesus Christ is Lord. And with that, they set him on fire. They didn't want to kill Polycarp. He was the bishop of the church of Smyrna. He was a student of John, the apostle. They liked Polycarp. He was a venerable old guy. But he wouldn't say Caesar is Lord. So they killed him. And he didn't bow. We, that's not a message we have in America today. We too busy running around the church looking for God to do some, something for us. Like some celestial Santa Claus. This, the, 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 these, Those type of Christians would never make it up under this because they're not being taught anything. They're not being taught that we... There's gonna get, be come time where well, we have to endure. No one's hearing that message today. Nobody wants to hear it. We want to hear "Lord, buy me a Mercedes Benz," and yeah, that's it. Glory to God. Uh, miraculously, uh, 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 make my debt go away. You know, people always want to get out of paying their bills. Or well, what about the what about the people you got the merchandise from? Don't they deserve their money? They got a business. You done came and signed your name on the dotted line. Charge up all this money. No, you don't have the money for it. Now you want God to do some miraculous debt elimination? You, you know you hear this stuff in these churches. <laughs> That's ridiculous. It really is. Think that these people that had itching ears running around trying to hear a word here and there. Do you think they're going to stand for persecution? Of course they won't. They're going to fall away. That's why Jesus said that. Okay, now all who live on the earth are going to worship the antichrist. Everyone except those who had whose names were not written in the Lamb's book of life. Listen to what it then says here. Anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. This is what the Lord is about to say. He said, listen to me now. If anyone is to be taken captive into captivity he calls. In other words, God said, I got complete sovereign control over this. If you are appointed to this, this is where you're gonna go. All right. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, there is a there is a, a, a predestination in this. There is an election. There's like an appointment here that he's dealing with. God's sovereign control. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. Well, they hung Jesus up. They hung the apostles up, hung Peter upside down. They did it. They've they been doing it all long time. Jesus just letting you know this is what's going to happen. I'm telling you ahead of time. And this is why it says this calls for endurance and faithfulness from the saints. So that's an encouragement to God's people. This, this isn't some pity patty spaghetti bat left behind who didn't make the rapture cut because they was in the club when the rapture happened. That's ridiculous, ladies and gentlemen. That's ridiculous. That is such a ridiculous narrative. It is. That's not what this says. Glory to God. Now, let's listen to this. Verse number nine, I'm gonna deal with this real quick. Let's go to the King James because it says, it says, if any man has an ear, let him hear. Now, Prince Tripp says, see there? In Revelation 2 and 3, it said, he who has an ear, let the spirit hear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. That's because the church was on earth. And since the church ain't on earth, he don't say that. That is another stupid argument. It's a stupid argument. I'm going to tell you why. In chapters one and two, you were dealing with seven churches in the province of Asia Minor, which we know of as Turkey. These were actual churches, ladies and gentlemen, on a courier route that began with Ephesus and ended with Laodicea. Come on, now they know, you, you guys know this. There they, they, they were real congregational issues. There were bad doctrines. There was the doctrine of the Nicol- Nicolaitans. There was Jezebel. There were people who were saying they were Jews and were not. There were people who were saying they were apostles and were not. All this apostle stuff was there even a problem back then. Glory to God! Now you got apostles running around everywhere. It was a, it, it was already a, we hadn't gotten out the first century. There were still apostles, original apostles, still living, and you already had people trying to assert themselves into the apostolic office, and the people at Ephesus wouldn't have it and called them out. Jesus said, "I like that about you." He said, "Because you you have you 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 call these folks out to call themselves apostles and found them to be liars." First century, there was a problem. So in the first century, the spirit is actually dealing with the church at Ephesus, the church of Laodicea, the church of Philadelphia, Smyrna, Sardis, Pergamon, and all that. They, they were actually dealing with certain congregations. Well, what's the difference between chapter two and three and chapter 13? Well, chapter 13, you are 2,000 years in the future. Revelation 2 and 3 were in the first century ladies and gentlemen Revelation 13 is at least 21 at least 21 centuries later And he's not addressing people on the basis of a local congregation. Now he's dealing with the saints at large throughout the world who are going to be living under the tyranny of the Antichrist. So that's why he's not talking about any churches. He ain't talking about the church in Chicago, the church in St. Louis, the church on the north side, church on the west side, and them other churches over there. He's not dealing with that. Now he's dealing with the saints because the antichrist ain't going to be concerned about that. He's going to be looking for anybody that names the name of Jesus. And so this is why he says, if any man has an ear, let him hear. They're not addressing churches. They're not addressing congregations 2000 years later. It's a whole different milieu. This is a worldwide global economy and people are not being dressed address on the basis of an angel of a church or a pastor with a message to that congregation that's not what john is doing here so that's why you don't see the word church glory to god and the apostle john didn't use the word church the way paul did anyway that's another conversation though we'll get to that later all right now so he says if any man have an ear let him hear he that leadeth into captivity Or let me go back to the uh, NIV because it says it better. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he would go. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with a sword he would be killed. This calls for patience and endurance and faithfulness on the behalf of God's people. Now, let's go to Revelation Revelation 14. Now, the reason why, again, why I'm pre-wrath and I'm pre-wrath the way I, 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 I am is because even during this period, the grace of God has not stopped. You don't get a discontinuation of the grace of God until the wrath of God. But right now, you still got the grace of God going. Let me show you to prove it to you. The three angels. What does the first one do? Then another angel flying in the mid air. he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to them that live on the earth to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said, in loud words, feel God give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and the springs thereof. In other words, the angel is saying, we're right at the door for this raft to start busting. This is y'all last chance. Here, get the gospel, preachers. There ain't going to be no TBNs at this time. There ain't going to be about nobody meeting in no churches talking about Jesus. All those people are going to be hunted down. They're going to be looked by the antichrist. So what's going to happen is God is not going to leave this up to humans. What he's going to do, he's going to send an angel to the planet, ladies and gentlemen. I know you haven't heard this before. I know this is deep, but I want you to follow me here. God is so loving even during this time. So loving. And his, the door of the grace is still open. And so it cannot be hindered. He doesn't leave it up to humans to do this. He sends an angel to the planet. So, And you know why this is more effective? Satan can't block the angel, number one. And the angel doesn't need interpreters, number two. And the angel is not hindered by time or space. He can be all over the world. People can hear him don't you know on the day of Pentecost, ladies and gentlemen, this is why the day of Pentecost was so such a, a great thing, is because those tongues of fires that the men got, it allowed them to speak in a heavenly language that could be interpreted by all humans. That's what was special about that. I don't really believe it was xenolalia in the sense of of foreign nations, different tongues from foreign nations. Peter speaking Spanish, and he didn't know Spanish. I don't believe that's what it was. Those cloven tongues of fire were a heavenly tongue. In other words, if God spoke to the world, God would just speak to us. We would all hear it in our own native tongues. God wouldn't have to say nothing in English, then Spanish, and German, then Russian, then Swahili, and all that. He wouldn't have to do that. He would just speak. We'd all understand it. Even the animals would understand him. Even the birds, the fish, all of he can speak to anything he created. All of them understand God, trust me, his message gets through to everybody. So when the angel comes with this gospel, ladies and gentlemen, he'll be able to reach all the unreachable. You know, it takes decades to get yourself amongst some uh, primitive tribe with a primitive language so you can understand that language, so you can interpret the Bible to them. How long that takes, if you don't get eaten first, (laughs) if you don't be part of the menu, it takes time for all of that. This angel won't have to go through any of that. So the doors of grace are still open. I like the first angel, but listen to the third angel. The third angel followed and said with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast and his image, now, now, listen to this, ladies and gentlemen. If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives the, the mark on their forehead or on their hand, they too will drink of God's fury, which has been poured out full strength in the cup of his wrath. Now, the wrath of God that is particular to what we are not appointed to, which is not us getting killed. We can, we can get killed. All, we've been, Christians have been getting killed. This wrath of God cannot be exacted until the mark of the beast has been issued and people worship the beast as God. So this is why he said, if you get the mark of the beast, you will suffer the wrath of God because at at this point, it still isn't poured out yet. Not the one that we have been guaranteed not to go through. Not the one that dispensationalists say. Well, if it if the grass burns up and all that, that's the wrath of God. Listen, we've been having fires like crazy, and the whole towns have been beginning burnt out. We still on Earth. We've, we've had COVID nineteen. We still on Earth. If anyone worships the beast or his image, now, ladies and gentlemen, God sends an angel to warn people not to get the mark of the beast. Why? Because if you get the mark of the beast, this is what's going to happen. He says, they will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the lamb. Now, that aspect of the wrath of God is not found in the bold judgments. This is the eternal wrath of God. So here, The the angel is letting you know you're going to suffer both of them. You're going to get the bold judgments, die, go to temporary hell, then be bought out of hell at the great white throne judgment and then found guilty, then thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire wrath is what he's talking about in this portion of it. So therefore, he says they, too, will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out full strength into the cup of his wrath. That's Revelation 16, the cups of wrath and the bowls that are going to be poured out on the world and. They will be tormented with burning sulfur and the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. And there will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast or his image or for anyone that receives the mark of his name. Now. So since this is a specific sin that can only be done at a specific time under a specific antichrist during Daniel's 70th week, if this sin can only be committed one time in human history. So what God does, he issues a specific commandment for that specific sin and tells people what the penalty is up front. Even if you didn't have a Bible and didn't know who Jesus is on earth, if you're on earth at the time, glory to God, he sends an angel to war on the world. Now, that's God's grace. He's still giving people a chance. By warning you not to get it. All right. Now, look at the 12th verse. This is important. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Now, what this is saying is, God is saying it's going to be intense persecution People are gonna be dying. People are gonna be going to the jail. It's going to seem chaotic. It's going to seem like there is no hope, but he's letting you know. Be patient, y'all. Cause it's about the bust. I'm about to call. I'm gonna come. I'm coming. I'm going to save you. The Savior always comes in a time of distress. The Savior doesn't come to deliver Babylon or Egypt. The Savior is not coming to deliver America. The Savior is not coming to deliver Britain or Russia. The Savior is coming to save those who are under the distress of Satan at this time. He comes at a time. And so this is why he said, this calls for patience, y'all. This calls for endurance. Listen to this. This calls for patient endurance on the part of God's people who keep the commands and remain faithful to Jesus. Now, ladies and gentlemen, How does that sound like some mamby-pamby Christians who didn't meet the rapture cut, who was in the bar, not a, not a, said, not, if they couldn't get it right during the times before all this happened, how do you think they're getting it right right now? That's because this whole idea that we've been taught that we're not going to be here and all that is, that's because it's not true. This clip paints a very clear picture. Of people that stay committed to Jesus, even during this time. Okay. Then verse 13, he says, then I heard a voice from heaven say, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. What kind of blessing would it be if we were still here to get killed? But be here for the end of Christ. We don't have to die for our faith. Where are they getting this from? The Bible said, blessing. The Bible pronounces a blessing on those who die on the Lord now. Special blessing. And then guess who cosigns? it? guess who backs it up? Yes, says the Spirit. Oh, my God. Wait a minute. I thought the Holy Ghost was gone. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, this is not what your Bible says. The Bible says the Spirit is involved in these people. (laughs) He's the one that's encouraging them. Say, Man, y'all about to get paid big time because you're suffering for Christ. And if you suffer with him, you're going to reign. They will rest from their labor. And their deeds will follow them. Now, ladies and gentlemen, now look at this next series of scriptures. These are very important. I want you to pay attention. Verse 14, I looked and there before me was a white cloud. I want you to, I want you to get this now. I want you to get this. And seated on the cloud was one like the sun of man. This, this is what it says in, uh, I want you to look at this, Revelation 13, uh, one thirteen. This is what it says. You can see it right down there. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a white garment. Same description. Here he is here. One like the Son of Man, with a crown of gold on his head. Angels don't wear crowns. Okay. And a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came out of the temple. And called in a loud voice to him who was sitting on the cloud. Take your sickle and reap. Because the time to reap has come for the harvest of the earth is ripe. I want you to listen, ladies and gentlemen, what it's saying. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, not on it, over the earth, and the earth was harvested. Look at that. The son of man on a cloud, an angel yells out to him. Time for you to get your harvest. So the son of man takes his sickle. And he swings it. and He reaps it over the earth. And the earth was harvested. Son of man gets his harvest. Now, we just got to understand. Now, here, just in verse 13, we just got finished dealing with this part. Verse 13, then I heard a voice from heaven said, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Why? Why are they interested in the dead who die in the Lord? Because the dead in Christ rise first. He's got to wait on that before number. He's got to wait on everybody because they go first. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on, from now on yes says the spirit for they will rest from their labor and their deeds do follow them so he's saying you guys rest just hold on blessed you dying you dying for Christ you getting your head cut off you going to jail he says but that's all right. they did Jesus the same way they did the apostles the same way in Hebrews they cut them in half all you got to do is read Hebrews 11 they cut them in half they spit them with swords they cut their heads off they said the world was not worthy of them they've been going through this since the very beginning but he said blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on he said they will rest from their labor they're interested in the dead why because the dead in Christ rise first that number needs to be full as well as the living and then right after the spirit says that then that's when you see the Lord coming down on a cloud. He's on a cloud. A voice calls from heaven, get your harvest. Now in the other, in the seventh trumpet, we got another vision from a different perspective connected to crisis authority over the world. And so the seventh trumpet van Shows the connection between the wrath of God and the blessedness of the people of God. While wrath is going on on Earth, that's the theme. Blessing and reward is going on for God's people. That's a the theme. And see, that's how that's how Revelation does it. It does it in in in, in vignettes and visions that are connected thematically to whatever whatever the topic is under the seven trumpet, you see it this way. but o- over here in relationship with the cloud and the sun and all of them and the harvest, now you're getting the vision of the harvest. But there's not just one harvest, there's two. Let's look at let's look at the other harvest. He says, and another angel came out of the temple in heaven. he too had a s- sickle. Still another angel with charge of fire came from, from the altar. And he called with a loud voice to him that had the sharp sickle. He said, take your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the earth's vine. Now, this is different language than what Jesus did not say nothing about clusters of grapes didn't say nothing about vines, did it? That's because this is a different harvest. It said, because its grapes are ripe and the angel swung his sickle on the earth. Christ got his sickle over the earth. Why? Because he's on a cloud. He just swung it up there, right? Okay. The angel swung his sickle on the earth, gathered its grapes and threw them into the great winepress of God's wrath. Now, Christ got his harvest you don't hear no more about it. Then there's another harvest that group will call grapes. Why? Because they're thrown into the wine press of God's wrath. Two different harvests here. Dispensational scholars, oh, this is the same oh, as judgment crisis. Just this. The crisis has nothing to do with that type of judgment. This The second one is the one that goes into the wrath of God. Now, we're going to close with this. So the question is, Revelation 13, he was telling the certain saints to endure. You're going to go to jail. All this is going to happen. Be patient. Revelation 14, he warns them. He preaches the gospel. He's still preaching the gospel. Had an angel do it. Send another angel, warns people not to get the mark of the beast because he told them, if you do, you're going to go to hell. Then he said this calls for patient endurance on the part of God's people who remain faithful to Jesus. He's still talking to the saints here. Then you have the Holy Spirit saying, blessed are those who, are, who die in the Lord, but not on, because their labors, the labor does follow them. And then right after that, then the Son of Man comes down on the cloud. The angel yells to him. Sounds just like First Thessalonians. The Lord shall descend from heaven uh, uh, with the with the shout of the archangel. This one you have the archangel yelling to Christ on the cloud. Christ is on the cloud. He gets his harvest. Glory to God. His harvest. Uh huh. What you think? Christ was getting wheat. He he actually was harvesting corn. No, he is the Lord of the harvest. <laughs> he's, the, he's harvesting his souls that belong to him. This is Christ's harvest. So after he gets the harvest, after the Holy Spirit encourages them, he gets that harvest. Next thing you know, Christ gets his. He sings, swings his sickle over the earth. So now those so-called tribulation saints, the saints that was down here on the earth, now where are they after Christ gets his harvest? Revelation 15, listen to this. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues, last because with them, God's wrath is completed. Oh boy, listen to that. He said, and I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire. And standing beside it, standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image over the number of his name. And they were given harps given to them by God. And they sang the song of the servant Moses and of the lamb. Now, in Revelation 13 and 14, they were still on the earth. But what happened? In the meantime, Christ got his harvest. The next time you see the people who are getting persecuted by the Antichrist in Revelation 13, they are now in heaven in Revelation 15. And the interesting thing about that is they're in heaven before God dispatches his angels with the seven last plagues in the bold judgments that are poured out in Revelation 16. In other words, he took his saint's off of the earth before he poured his bowls of wrath out in Revelation 16. Now, doesn't that sound vaguely familiar, or is it just so happens that we got another big coincidence? The church was told we're not appointed to wrath. The church was told we're going to be raptured and rewarded on the last trumpet. Revelation says the same thing. This says the same thing. Then the continuation of the ceremony that we here have here in Revelation 15 is carried out carried on in Revelation 20. They're not raised at the end of, of, of the at the beginning of the millennium. That's not that's not true. They've already been raised, they're already celebrating in heaven. Revelation 20 just picks up what starts in Revelation 15. This concludes our lesson on the rapture and revelation. I hope. You have been blessed by this teaching. God bless you and keep you. Listen, drop me a line. You can send me an email PhD Ministries 400 at att.net. PhD Ministries, uh, that's all one word, 400, the number 400 at att.net. Love to hear from you. You could also zale to a uh, uh, PhD ministries. If you want to uh, give an offering or something like that, it's fine. I'm not saying you have to. Glory to God. If you, if you are blessed by these teachings, you want to be a part of what we're doing. My wife and I are about to start launching our ministry, doing these prophetic conferences. I'm speaking it out because God knows there's a lot of people like yourselves that want to hear this type of teaching. Glory to God. So listen, God bless you and keep you in Jesus name. We'll see you next time. Welcome to the Revelation Revolution.